Welcome to the first October Sourced Week in Review podcast. My name's Michael Crutcher, Jordan McDonald. Welcome. Hi, Michael. Here we are in October and the change of sporting seasons mm-hmm. as we Indeed. move from winter codes to summer codes. And we're going to start with sport today because, well, it's not really sport. It's something that involves a sporting club. Mm-hmm. So there's sport involved in this loosely, but... What the heck has happened at Essendon Australian Rules Football Club? Yes. So no surprise we're talking about this because this has been a train wreck all week and for pretty much everyone involved in it. If you've missed the news, and not many would have, Essendon, the team that hasn't won a finals match since 2004, 18 years ago for those keeping score, is back mm-hmm. in the news again. And it's not about their on-field prowess. This is not a good one. You may remember Essendon had a bumpy ride in August when it was heavily criticised for the way it handled the departure of then-coach Ben Rutten. Well, this week they have outdone (laughs) that uh, misstep from August uh, when they announced the appointment of a new CEO and then 24 hours later told him he'd have to choose between a role he held with a church or the CEO job that they had emphatically announced on his behalf. We're talking about Andrew Thorburn, the former CEO of National Australia Bank, or NAB. Mm -hmm. Now, it also turns out he's a chairman of a church in Melbourne, and a church that's a conservative Christian church. Now, once his appointment was announced, Mm. with much fanfare from Essendon, Journalists did what journalists do. They just went and had a look at Andrew Thorburn. And for most journalists who'd be doing that, they're sports writers. So yep. they don't really give two hoots about Andrew Thorburn, the former CEO of National Australia Bank. No, they probably not. Maybe not even knew he, he was there at that time, finishing up a few years ago. So a fresh set of eyes in sports writers. Hello, Essendon. Were you thinking about that? Um, <laughs> come and have a look to see who is this guy, Andrew Thorburn. Well, here's something he does. He's a chair of a Christian church. Um, they then go back and look back to 2013 and find some uh, sermons that the pastor had done at the time, which uh, they thought were controversial nine years ago, mind you. Um, and that was enough to generate stories about the appropriateness of Thorburn's place at Essendon. Now, even though he hasn't publicly espoused the controversial views in question and the fact that he had a good reputation at NAB for promoting diversity. Those yeah. things were yeah. were a fact. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the media and this is the area into which you're thrown. And it started all sorts of controversy over whether Thorburn was sidelined because of his religious views, which gets into really ugly territory, yeah, Jordan, as you does. know. It does. Um, into legal territory. Now, there are views on all sides of this, but let, let's just strip away you know, some of the the chat about what's uh, right or wrong because we could do a whole one-hour podcast on that. (laughs) But talk about this is a classic case of crisis communications, issues management, whatever you want to call it. I want to start at point one. What about Andrew Thorburn's previous history at NAB? Because this is important. He left under quite controversial circumstances after the Hain Royal Commission into financial institutions. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, he didn't come out of the Kenneth Haynes uh, inquiry with uh, glowing references. No. Now, the president of Essendon Football Club, David Barham, said in announcing the appointment on Monday, the short-lived appointment, that 
To my knowledge, no other AFL club has ever secured the services of an ASX-listed top 10 company CEO to run its club. To which one reporter in the Financial Review wrote, Barham (laughs) omitted a key adjective here. Thorburn is a disgraced former ASX 10 company CEO. No other AFL club has ever secured the services of a disgraced former ASX 10 company. So there's one part there. So if you're going to put Andrew Thorburn in, you've got to know that. I'm sure they did know that Essen. They they had to know. Yeah, they knew, but they would have also had to know that it's not going to go over, Mm. you know, as a uh, uh, the coup that they said it was. No. So where did it go wrong? Well, the most important element of crisis communications is, of course, prevention of a problem. That's it. That's right. Just don't make the the uh, the problem to start with, and that's Essendon's most grievous error here. How do they not do these checks and work out some of these things around Andrew Thorburn? The same checks the journalists did and did quite quickly. Why couldn't Essendon, with all its resources, do the same? Mm-hmm. Now, if Essendon was concerned about Thorburn, then they needed to think about all of that before they were prompted into looking concerned by media reporting. So, you know, they had to weigh up all of these types of things. Crisis comms is a risk play. Everything's a risk play, mm-hmm. okay? And you assess things at different risk levels. Regardless of Andrew Thorburn's um, religious viewpoint, that history was always going to be something to factor in. Now, the whole religious viewpoint, now let's look at that because this is where this discussion gets very difficult and it's not something we'll solve on this podcast, but it's enough to say that the legal view is bad enough of what Essendon's done. One experienced lawyer in a column in a Melbourne newspaper this morning referred to Thorburn's departure as a forced voluntary resignation. Right. The forced voluntary resignation. And that you may not like Thorburn's views, but his right to continue employment isn't dependent on whether you like what he or his church thinks. Cancelling him for the views some members of his religion might hold in defiance of the legal protection the state offers him endangers the protections we all enjoy under the same law. Okay, so that's a... Interesting sentence, that one. Yeah, it's a big one, isn't (laughs) it? Lawyers like long sentences. Yeah. They do. They like long sentences. <laughs> yes, we've seen numbers of those <laughs> as they've corrected our, uh, of course. our copy of Times yes. with uh, long sentences. Now, um, there are a whole bunch of questions around the, uh, what happened from a legal viewpoint, from a moral viewpoint, heaps and heaps of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bottom line of this is Essendon, you've just stuffed it up, yeah. the whole thing. I agree. Um now, whether your board should resign is a matter for the board, although you could mount a very good case as to why some change would be good for the next time a crisis situation arises at Essendon, which uh, on recent track record you say it may be some chance because this board here has now been involved in a couple of uh, missteps in the last uh, two months or less than two months. Yep. Um, so that board then, when it comes to a crisis situation is a board that media has already got pegged, mm-hmm. for better or for worse. Yep. So that board needs to have a think about what it can do to um, protect the club because as a board member, your job is to do what is best for the club at all times. Now, I've had plenty of minutes to rant about this, Jordan. <laughs> I'm interested in what you think of uh, what happened this week. Uh, I'm looking at this from... You know, public perception, we look at that through personality. We talk about it a fair bit in the podcast. 
And I don't think any of this is really doing any favours to uh, the personality of the Essendon Football Club. That's right. So if audiences put personality traits on everything, that's whether it. it. Yep. So yeah. Essendon's one of those. Yeah. It's a shame when you consider just I reckon how much the personality has changed in the club, particularly over the, the sort of wider two decades. I mean, the club is equal the most premierships in the AFL. Yeah. Entirely, it's in the history books in 2000 for being the most dominant team in the league's history. Um, but you know, from the early 2000s, you know, you would describe them as that elite, professional, disciplined, hardworking, just very organised, all those sorts of things. Um, and as a player, I'm sure you wanted to, you wanted to be there. Yeah, but um, absolutely, a, 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 just a, the 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 team that you had to be. You had to be, yeah. But, um, you know, it's been now t- over 20 years without a flag, which is the longest period without one. And uh, there's been a handful of, you know, relatively serious scandals and including this most recent one. Um, yes, we haven't touched on some from uh, years before either. Mm. Um, and then, you know, although the team has been, you know, pretty competitive in patches, these background things are really just starting to affect that personality. So you might think, you know, a bit disorganised or unprofessional, a bit clueless, yeah. you know. So uh, if Essendon was a person at a party, is it the club that drops its drink uh, yeah. at the party while uh, Geelong is the very professional the one. Uh, person in the corner? That's the one. Yes. Yeah, 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 that's exactly it. So I, I agree with you. Um, I think there there's a need for a, a decent shake-up within, within Essendon there. Yeah, and I don't think we've heard the last of this because we know that the AFL media loves to uh, wring every last drop out of stories and they do so because their audiences love it. So that's understandable. So I'm sure that we will be hearing more about Essendon (coughs) where it goes Mm -hmm. next. Now, someone else we talk about a fair bit. I know. Elon Musk. We haven't (laughs) spoken about him for a few weeks. I know. I know it's been a few weeks, but he's back into the podcast this week because... He is going to go through with the purchase of Twitter, so he says. So he's going to purchase it because it's been on again, off again. Yeah. So he said he would throw, he would proceed with the original agreement, provided and provided that the Delaware judge postpones the trial that was soon to to take place. He's got until five p.m. October twenty eight to gather the forty four billion US. That's got to go across and then close it. Otherwise, there'll be a November trial set. So it it essentially wraps up a very bitter, intense legal fight that arose originally from Musk deciding that he may not buy Twitter because it didn't give him the information he wanted but chose not to get. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly (laughs) right. So so what's changed? So why are we now at this situation? It's... Honestly, anyone's guess, but my understanding is I reckon his legal team uh, has realised that he's stuck in a bit of a no-win situation and now he has to sort of choose the better of the two yeah, losses. Yeah. You know, some of the optics around this legal sort of back and forth hasn't been too favourable to Musk. You know, he recently had some of those text messages uh, released which didn't help one of his biggest arguments which was around that material adverse change yeah, at Twitter. Yeah. And then some of his behaviour just in general has been pretty embarrassing to a lot of his stakeholders and investors. He's not really improved in the situation, really. Um, So, yeah, there's no way out for Musk. And so he could try and fight it, but he won't win. So maybe now the best thing to do is just bite the bullet 
and follow through with the purchase. So Musk has to spend 44 billion US on the, in my view, the most hate-filled social media platform out there, just dripping with uh, hate and predictability. Um, So that's his lot. Twitter gets taken over by Musk for 44 billion. Who are we counting as a real winner here? Uh, I reckon it's probably the uh, the Delaware Court of Chancery. I don't see Twitter or Elon being the winners. I think the court wins out of this in the sense that they've managed to uphold the law and enforce this deal, but through precedent and fairness. Yep. And it adds to this, you know, the understanding that the Delaware Court of Chancery is hugely important to corporate America and corporate corporate law globally. So I don't think Twitter or its boards win this really no despite them you know all unanimously agreeing that they were going to accept the purchase well you know why they're doing that correct yes and i don't think elon wins either because i don't think he really wants the platform at all (laughs) and because he doesn't want it i actually think there's a there's a a risk that he may just give it away to someone because he's elon (laughs) so i don't know yet we'll see we'll see well We'll mention that again on the podcast. Now, on the Week in Review, we always like to talk about new things in social media. Jordan, you bring to this edition of Source the news of fizz. Yes. So I'm going to pretend I'm trendy here now and sit here and listen to you talk about what is fizz. Right. So there's a new social media app that is taking over American college and it's called Fizz. And the F I double Z. F I Z Z. Yep. Nothing too cryptic or strange. In case you thought it was B H I double Z. Yeah, or some variation of that. Um, It it connects students on campus in a platform design and functionality that's very similar to Reddit, you know, with the upvoting and downvoting and topic threads. But I'll get to that in a second. The the app was was created by co founders Teddy Solomon and Ashton Kofer. And it was a, created as a way to connect with friends on campus in the thick of COVID. So they both joined Stanford during COVID and they said that everyone was so anxious on campus. You know, no one really wanted to get together. It was hard to make friends. There was this thing called a group me, which had, I imagine it to be a group chat of some sort, yep. but it had yep. 1,200 of the students in there, but only four people really ever spoke. They didn't think it was going to okay. work. So we're going to make something different. Yep. So it's this app is only available to college students and you can only access the FIS community for the school you attend. So you, if you go to Stanford, you can only access the Stanford community. You couldn't go to another one and access it that so way. So you need the right email address. Yes, you require a .edu address of your college yep. to log in. Um, yeah, so on the app, you can post anonymous text posts, polls and photos with classmates. Uh, and those classmates can upvote or downvote, which is the, the Reddit feature, yeah. which is very popular. But then you could also direct message someone if you wanted, which would then reveal your identity. Okay, okay. So with anonymity, always a big question, mm. what happens with content moderation? Because it's so important to the uh, prospects of these apps. It is, and content moderation is a massive problem for social media, and we've seen that. <laughs> yes, Twitter, hello. Um, but Fizz has a pretty unique way of doing it. They, they hire 15 moderators per school who can supplement standard AI-based content screening, and they're, they're paid too, which is always good. Um, so, yeah, that's actually quite impressive. Inappropriate posts are removed within one minute on average across all school communities. 
They are moderators also have the ability to mute banned users, and once you're banned, you are out for good because you haven't got another <laughs> .edu address to use, which I'm actually in favour of. I don't mind permanent that. banning. Permanent banning. So yeah, it's a different way to approach moderation, and so far because it's a much smaller scale than the other apps, but it's pretty good. So what do uh, old folk uh, like my generation? What do we? learn from fizz from a social media viewpoint because these uh, things now whether fizz takes off and becomes a success it's uh, founders hope or not these types of uh, things do teach us a few lessons it does well for the younger generation it's telling all of us that they're looking for a more authentic experience on social media there is another relatively new app that is growing in popularity particularly in australia which is called be real um, and it prompts users to take a photo at different times, once per day, um, and you have a certain time frame to take that photo. It takes right. a photo of the front of you and whatever you're looking at as well. Your friends can react to it and then it disappears. Um, so it, it's aimed at creating a sort of less polished and more real field of photos, and I think that is what the uh, Fizz is tapping into. It's it's you know authentic in that sense, and um, you know like Fizz. Be Real also leveraged a, a college college ambassador program to, to get itself started. So there are similarities. And I say the similarity too with obviously the uh, the biggest social media platform of all, Facebook, which started way back, of course, uh, yes. on campus as well. It did. It did indeed. And look how it's changed. It's not cool anymore for... Uh, not that cool, is it? No, but it was so cool and it set all the trends really that... Uh, we've followed since and others have come on board with. So there you go uh, for our regular listeners. There's Fizz. <laughs> now you can talk about Fizz like an expert. Yes, yes. And mind you, I don't think any of us will be on Fizz at the moment. It hasn't quite made its way to Australia just yet. No, we'd have to knows? be uh, at, a, at a university to do yeah, so. Yeah, we would. Yeah, that's be. right. How's the weekend looking for you? Busy for me this weekend. Uh, the usual music work and a uh, variety of housework too, which <laughs> I've... Uh, Shannon's put down and shift work, so he'll be all right. There you go. Junior sports back too for many parents around oh, the place. You're doing the run around this oh, weekend. Junior sports back, yes. Yeah. Football season's oh, done. <laughs> Bring on summer. Have a great weekend. You too.